Spiritual Sword Media presents The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. As we look at Revelation chapters 20 and 21, I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the theme in view of eternity. Where do you plan to spend eternity? Where do you think your friends and neighbors will spend eternity? 100 years from now, where will you be? I suspect that most, if not all of us, will be in eternity. In Amos chapter 4 at verse 12, the prophet said in the long ago, prepare to meet your God. All of us ought to be making adequate plans to meet Almighty God. Preparation must be made. And not only are we to make preparation for eternity, but we ought to encourage others to make adequate preparation to meet the Lord. As you and I look at chapters 20 and 21, there are two things that I want to share with you as we contemplate the theme in view of eternity. The first thing that I would call your attention to is the day of reckoning that looms before all of us. Beginning in verse 11, John the Apostle speaks of the people who will ultimately stand before Almighty God on that great and final day of judgment. And so the first thing that I would call your attention to has to do with those who are present at the judgment. Look at verse 11 again. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to to his works. What about those who are present at the judgment? What John is saying here is that when that great and final day comes, all will be there. Jesus spoke of all nations being gathered before him in Matthew chapter 25. All nations would be inclusive of all people. When Paul stood before the Athenians, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 17, he said, The times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. For as much as he is appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. The world, again, is inclusive of all people, whether small or great. We go all the way back to the creation of man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. Adam will be at the judgment. Not just Adam, but also the great patriarchs that lived. Men like Cain, 
and Abel, Seth, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph and his brothers, David, all of the great people that we read about in the Old Testament, they'll be at the judgment. Those who live during that era in human history, they'll be at the judgment. The New Testament records many great and valuable servants of Almighty God. Women like Mary and Martha, or Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth and John. We think about men like Zacharias, John the Apostle, Matthew. We think about the Apostle Paul and Peter, James and John and others. And the point is that all of us will be present at the judgment to come. But note, if you would, the pattern that will be used at the judgment. John said, and books were opened. The books that he has reference here to are the books that we call the Bible. There are 39 books contained in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we read about those people who lived under the period of the patriarchal law. And then there was the law given to Moses and the children of Israel. And then in the New Testament, we think about the law of Christ, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It's called the law of liberty. The books will be opened, and those who lived under these dispensations will be judged accordingly. And so it would be my, my recommendation that all of us strive to become knowledgeable in this book that we call the Bible. Because this is the book by which we will be judged one day as we stand before Almighty God. Jesus said in John 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. In Romans chapter 2, at verse 2, Paul said, We know that the judgment of God is according to truth. In James chapter 2, James would say in verse 12, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. This is the book that's going to be opened on the day of judgment. This is the book by which you and I will give an account to Almighty God concerning how we've lived here upon this earth. And so this day of reckoning, it is coming. There are meetings, there are conferences, there are appointments, there are times that we set up to engage in social activities. We may or we may not keep those appointments. But when it comes to the judgment of God, you and I will be there. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, It is appointed that a man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, that we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. And then also in Romans chapter 14, Paul would say, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall give an account to God. So then each of us must give an account of himself to God. The judgment of God is an appointment that all of us will keep. But now I want you to think with me about 
the divided realms, because we're talking about in view of eternity. As eternity looms before all of us, what we need to do is take a look at the places that are described where men and women will reside in that eternal abode. The first place that I would call your attention to is one that many of us would probably prefer not to consider, not to think about, nor talk about. It is that place called hell, Gehenna. Jesus had more to say about the subject of hell than any other individual in the New Testament, which ought to give insight into the magnitude of this subject. I would suggest, first of all, that there is the danger of hell. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus warned about the danger of hell in chapter 5, verse 22. Again, we talk about the magnitude of this subject. And Jesus here is warning people to give careful consideration to Gehenna, this eternal abode. When we talk about the danger of hell, I think we would do well to link to that a description of hell. John provides us with some passages that help to illuminate this eternal abiding place that is called hell. First of all, I would suggest that it is a place described as a lake of fire and brimstone. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 of chapter 20 in Revelation, John said the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Bear in mind that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25 verse 41. Hell has not been prepared for you or me for that matter, but those who choose to live a life apart from the will of God ultimately they will be cast into that eternal abiding place. But it is a place described as a lake of fire and brimstone. Brimstone originally denoted fire from heaven. It has to do with lightning that strikes the earth and thus leaves what we would call brimstone. It has a sulfurous smell. Now, that's the picture that John is describing here. And then also I would drop down and look at verse 14 and call your attention to what John says here. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. He said this is the second death. And thus anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Another figure that is provided for us in Scripture is that hell is a place of smoke. In Revelation 14, verse 11, John said that the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. So here you have the figures of fire, brimstone, and smoke. It has been called a place or a furnace of fire by Jesus in 
Matthew chapter 13, verse 42. It is called a place of unquenchable fire in Matthew chapter 3, at verse 12. It is also described as a place where weeping and gnashing of teeth will be present, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, at verse 43. Finally, it is described as a place of outer darkness, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 at verse 30. Jude, in verse 13 of his short book, speaks of the blackness of darkness. Again, a, a picture representing this abode that is called hell. I don't know if you and I have ever experienced a place where utter, complete darkness is present. But I think one of the thoughts that is being conveyed by these inspired writers is that those who are banished to this abode called hell, they will forevermore be separated from the light of God's presence. The Bible says that God is light. In Him dwells no darkness at all. Those who suffer... The fate of spending eternity in hell will be forevermore disassociated with the light of God's presence. And then what about the duration of hell? The Bible speaks of hell as an eternal abode. There are a couple of terms that are used interchangeably describing this abode called hell and everlasting life or heaven. Sometimes the figure or sometimes the term is used everlasting, sometimes the word eternal is used. They both designate the same period of time. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus pictures that great and final day, when he will come with all his holy angels, he speaks of those who are on his right hand and those who are on his left. And he said, speaking of those on his left, these shall go away into everlasting punishment. And the idea is that eternity is forever. Let me give you a passage of scripture along those lines. Look again at verse 10 in Revelation chapter 20. John writes, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell will last forever. Just as heaven will last forever, hell will last forever. Now I want you to think about something for a moment. In, in our day and time, we are accustomed to hearing about people that commit some heinous crime or maybe they in some capacity break the laws of our land and as a result of that they are sentenced to a prison sentence or prison prison term well there are individuals in our society today some have been given a sentence of maybe five or ten years some 50 years some a life sentence but we we ultimately know that at death they are released from that prison sentence. But think about hell for a moment. You know, if you and I were to live an ungodly life and go to hell with the idea that, you know, in a hundred years, 
We're going to be freed from this place of torment. We might be able to live with that. Because after a year or two, we could think, well, I only have 99 years or 98 years. If hell were to last a thousand years, after a hundred years, we could say we have but 900 years to go and we will be released from this place of torment. If hell were a place that was comprised of 10,000 years, after a thousand years, we could say in 9,000 years, we will be released from this lake of fire, this second death. But the fact of the matter is, hell is eternal. It will never end. As John said, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But let me tell you, when we talk about hell, it is not but for a moment. It is not a light affliction. It is not something that is here today and gone tomorrow. But rather, it is unceasing, unending, eternal, everlasting. It will never end. Now we talk about living in view of eternity and why we need to be conscious of the souls of men and women. Let me just suggest this. We need to be evangelistically minded. We need to be thinking about the souls of others because there is the danger and duration of hell and it looms before the lives of all of us. I wonder if you and I had the opportunity to experience the hell of fire. If that would set a fire off within us like Jeremiah who said that there was no way that he could withhold the word of God from others because it was in his heart as a burning fire. Do we sense that people are stepping out into eternity each and every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year? People are stepping out into eternity. I read recently about a man that was talking about a funeral director that was sealing someone's casket. And as he was bolting that casket lid down, the thought that was coursing his mind was, I hope I never see this man again because he died an atheist. And he knew that that man stood to lose his soul in this place that we call hell. Do we understand the magnitude of hell? Do we really respect the gravity of eternity? One of the most frightening thoughts that ought to course our minds on a daily basis is the thought of the hell of fire. The Bible speaks of it is as a second death. Now let me just say this. We might ask the question, who will be in hell? The damned will be in hell. Who are the damned? Well, look at Revelation 21, verse 8. John writes, but the cowardly or fearful, unbelieving, abominable, Murderers, 
sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. John here is saying if people choose to live a life outside the will of God, what they will ultimately face is the doom of the hell of fire. Now there are a lot of people in our world today, they talk in a very flippant way about hell. And they make jokes about it. And they act as if it's nothing more than fiction. Well, I'm here to say that the Bible says it's not fiction, nor is it fable. It is a reality. And individuals who choose to ignore the summons, the invitation of the will of Almighty God, they stand in jeopardy of losing their eternal soul in hell forevermore. Somebody says, I want to live like I want to live. I want to do as I please. I want to think like I want to think. I want to do like I want to do. I want to dress as I want to dress, etc. Well, that may be your attitude. You have that right. You have that prerogative. But what the Bible says is if you do that, you'll pay a heavy price. It's called your eternal soul. And then what about the doom of hell? Someone has said that hell is a place where people live and never die. They die and never live. You let that sink in for a moment. In hell, people live, but they never die. They die, but they never live. There is no quality of life in this abode called hell. There is nothing that anyone of reasonable understanding and knowledge could find in hell, worthy of desiring to go there. No one in his or her right mind ought to want to go to this place called hell. It is a dead-end place. It is a place of doom. Now look around in our building. There are a lot of empty seats. How many people have you talked to in the past few days about their eternal soul? In view of eternity, how many people have you talked to in the past two weeks about their soul? What about your family members, your friends, your neighbors? What we're talking about is very serious. There very well could be people in hell one day that we might have influence for good. But they're going to lose their soul because we never took the time to talk to them about Jesus. All we have to do is invite, encourage, plead, exhort. Are we willing to do that? In view of eternity, the danger of hell is looming. And you see, the bottom line is this. We don't want our friends and neighbors to go to hell. We do not want our family members to go to hell. It may be the case that they are on the road to hell as we speak. But you and I, we have the gospel. We have the balm of Gilead that can set them free from sin. On the other hand, there is the delight of heaven. You see, we don't want our friends and neighbors going to hell, but we do want them to go to heaven. Do we really believe what we read about in Scripture concerning heaven. We talk about the delight of heaven, desiring to go to heaven. Do you desire to go to heaven? Do you desire for other people 
your friends, your neighbors, your children, your grandchildren, your brothers and sisters, your mate, do you desire to see them in heaven one day? You say, yes, I do. All right, here's the question. What are you doing about it? Are you talking to them? Are you encouraging them? Are you inviting them to come to the worship services? Are you inviting them to come to Bible study? You want them to go to heaven. That's right. You want them to be with you in the land of the redeemed. That's right. What are you doing about it? What are you doing to bring others to Jesus? What about this place called heaven? First of all, I would say that we read about the blessings of heaven. Did you know that heaven is a prepared place? Listen to what John said in Revelation chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new, and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down, he said, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and be their God. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven is a place being prepared. Jesus said in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He thought enough of us to come to this sin-cursed earth, die for us, pay the price for our sins, and now he has gone to prepare for us this beautiful abode. And then finally, it is a promised place. Listen to what John said. He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. What is the Lord saying here? He's saying, What I am telling you about this place called heaven is a reality. It's not fiction. It's not a fable. It is true. Are we living as if heaven is a reality? And we talk about we want to see our friends and neighbors in heaven. We want them to be there with us. We want them to enjoy the blessings of this great place. Again, what are we doing to get them there? What are we doing to get others to spend eternity in heaven with us? Who have you talked to in the past week about heaven? Just as surely as we talk about the horrors of hell, we need to think about the beauty of heaven. Here's what John said. It was said to him, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had great and high, she also had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gate and names written on, on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Drop down and look at verse 22. Well, in verse 21, he said the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. The street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the, and the Lord are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, 
For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me just close by saying this. There is just no way that human language can fully accommodate the beauty of heaven. I think about people that go to a foreign or distant land and maybe they go to, to view the Alps and they come back home and they, they try to describe to a friend or a neighbor, a family member, what they've seen, what they've experienced. And sometimes you'll hear people say human language just does not do it justice. Well, you see, John here is writing human words to convey unto us the beauty of heaven. I don't think we can fully adequately comprehend the beauty of heaven, but I know this. If God in heaven can create a world as beautiful as the one that you and I live in, I am convinced that heaven will be far more beautiful. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again and to see video archives, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fasten to the rock which cannot move. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.